0: Father in heaven, this morning as we come into your presence, we are so grateful for the word of God. It is not Logan we look to, it is you. You teach us in the Westminster Confession that it is the pastor's responsibility to prepare for teaching the word of God, but it is our responsibility to hear and to respond to Jesus. And so we ask God, speak, speak through Logan to us. Speak through your word. The scriptures teach us. Open the word of God that we might live. And the people of God said together, "Amen." Amen. Don't worry, I won't finish in fifteen minutes. You can set your timer, though. I'll be done by thirty-one minutes and twenty-four seconds. Um, but before I start, I just you know something struck me while I was standing there while we were praying earlier. Um, I don't know if you ever watched the Marvel movies, but there's a guy in those movies who plays uh, the Winter Soldier. And he's an extremely fit, muscle-bound superhero. And I was watching an interview with him where he shared that he struggles with uh, body dysmorphia. Have you ever heard of that? Where you just have a, a, a view of yourself that you can't get past. That he believes that he's unappealing, unattractive, and out of shape. The fact that he was muscle-bound and ripped and any one of us would die to, to look the way he looks. He, he can't help looking in the mirror and feeling like he's inadequate. He knows there's a disconnect between reality and what he experiences every day. And I was, you know, I think I experienced a little bit of that myself. I don't know if you have before. Um, but as, I, as we were praying for people who struggle with gender identity issues and things like that, I just recognized that that's a, a painful struggle. And something that I don't totally understand, I can't completely relate to. Um, but I wanted to say, if anybody here is wrestling with that, or anybody who's watching us online, uh, just know that we love you. And we, we want to talk to you. We'd love to sit down with you and, and just let you know about the hope of Christ. So um, that's why we pray. And that's what we, we really believe, that, that God's at work in all people, and you included. And so please know that. Um, And I want to invite you to stand as we read scripture. So our passage this morning is Jonah chapter 11. Jonah chapter, sorry, there's no 11th chapter in Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 11 through 17. Okay. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So I asked him, what should we do? to make the sea calm down for us. Pick me, and, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, Do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared, and they feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish, To swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right, so there are some things that we just won't do. I have a buddy from college who has never eaten a bagel in his entire life. Now, at first, it was, I think, just one of those things, but now he's in his 40s, and at this point, he is entrenched. You know, what once was kind of a coincidence, what's once was just kind of the way things were, it's now an achievement, and he'll tell you, I will never eat a bagel, and as I was thinking about that this week, I even reached back out to him, because I thought, surely he has to have caved by now, and he said, no, no bagels ever. I was like, well... You know, not even, not even bagel bites? <laughs> he said, no. I think he might be the only person in my generation who's made it this far without ever yet accidentally eating a bagel bite. But I just thought about it. You know, all the times in his life where he's had to say no, grocery stores, bagel shops, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, hotel breakfasts, so many opportunities. People's kitchens, New York. New York. And, you know, he's married now. He has kids now. There are other people who are impacted by this. So I have to give him credit. That is an impressive ability to resist. And as I think about that, I think we all recognize that we have that same ability within ourselves. We have that instinct. Now, we may not have some kind of record going, But given the right situation, we all have that kind of stubborn resolve in us. We all have an incredible capacity for resistance. If we don't want to do something, even if it's something that that is good for us, we can be incredibly hard headed about it. We can be unreasonable, we can be irrational. And that is never stronger than when it comes to our ability to resist God. It is never stronger than when it comes to our ability to resist God. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that we are so hardwired against trusting God that it takes a miracle to change our hearts. And that's what we're looking at today. That's what we're talking about this morning, as we continue studying the life of Jonah, we're, we're asking the question, how do we stop resisting? As we watch Jonah run, we cannot help but at least sympathize a little bit. That we all wrestle with the same kind of fear that Jonah has. This fear that if we stop fighting, if we stop resisting, if we fully submit to God... If we trust in his way instead of our own way, then somehow he's going to hurt us. Then somehow things aren't going to work out for our good. We fear that submission will turn out into pain. So what do we do about that? Well, I think this passage offers us some insight into that. And I think as we study this passage, if we could really grab a hold of it, it could really change us. The Holy Spirit might change our lives if we could grasp some of the principles we see here. So today I want us to dig in, and I want us to see the symptoms of our resistance, the futility of our resistance, and the cure for our resistance. Let's start off by talking about the symptoms. Okay, real quick, a recap in case you haven't been here in a few weeks. We're studying the book of Jonah. This book, the account starts out with God calling to Jonah the prophet and telling him he needs to go and preach to this city, Nineveh. And Nineveh, it's a large city. It's an important city in the nation of Assyria, a hated nation. The Assyrians, they were known for being violent. They were known for being brutal. They were known for for basically being terrorists. It was the last group of people that a nationalistic prophet who'd spent his life preaching to the king, it's the last place Jonah would ever want to go. It's the last people he would ever want to encounter. And so, instead of doing that, he hopped on a boat going the exact opposite direction. And where we've been recently, God sends this huge storm to stop the ship. And now, as we're reading about right now, the pagan sailors aboard the ship, they've started to panic. They've already thrown everything over the edge of the boat. And they have realized that this is not just a normal storm. There's something different about this storm. And so they cast lots to find out what's going on. Whose fault is this? And that's led them to Jonah. They interrogated Jonah last week, and they found out that the passenger on their ship is a man on the run from the God of all creation. And that's where we pick up today. Now, I've read this story a lot over the years. I mean, it's only three and a half pages. I've, I've read through it uh, uh, many times. And, but it's funny when you start to really dig deep into a story, how you can discover things. That you've never noticed before. For instance, the part we read today, it begins with them asking Jonah what they should do. The the crew members, they go to Jonah, what should we do? And Jonah responds, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always read that and thought, that kind of sounds noble. That kind of sounds generous. He sees these innocent men that are suffering, and he doesn't want these guys to die for him. And so he offers his own life as a sacrifice. That sounds noble, right? But maybe it's because I've heard the story so many times. I I just never considered that he had any other choices. I never considered that he had any other options. But here's the thought. The whole problem these guys are dealing with is because he is on the run from God. So when the sailors ask him, what what should we do to you to make this this storm calm down? Jonah could have said, just take me back to port. I'm supposed to go to Nineveh. (laughs) Just turn around and, and drop me off and I'll go do what God called me to do. I'm sure that'll stop the storm. But he doesn't say that, right? No, he says, kill me. Kill me. I suppose it's noble that he doesn't want these innocent men to die for him. But even in this moment, you need to see that Jonah is still digging in his heels. I'd rather die than go do the thing God asked me to do. And I can't help but see my own struggle in this moment. Interaction. Isn't this kind of the battle that we all face? The struggle to believe that following God, that trusting Jesus, is truly going to be better for us than if we keep going our own way. Because there's no way around it, right? The call to follow Jesus is a costly call. You can't ignore that. Here's Jesus' own words He says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, finding your life, that sounds great. Finding your life, that sounds wonderful. We want to be fulfilled. We want to have joy. We want to have contentment. We want to find our life, but losing our life first, that's the hard part. See, Jonah would rather literally lose his life, going his own way, than losing his life for the kingdom of God. And if we're being honest, left on our own, so would we. Left on our own, we're the same exact way. In fact, our, that is our natural predisposition. That's what Scripture says. Scripture tells us that is our default behavior. That our default mode of operation is to doubt God, to fear, to believe that we know better. That's the dynamic that has been at work in the lives of every single human being since the fall. That's the same thought that was implanted into the human race in the Garden of Eden when the serpent, when he encouraged Eve to doubt God and his goodness. To question his motives and, and to believe that God's holding back on you. That's the way we all act now. And I'm, and I'm not just talking about that's the way all those people out there act. I'm saying that's the way that all of us still continue to act. I find that, in fact, for most Christians, we do fine when the call to follow God, when the call to follow Jesus fits conveniently into our lives. When Jonah, when his call was just to go preach to the king and tell him good things about what's going to happen to the nation of Israel in his homeland, and the courts, that was fine. He had no problem obeying God then. And it's the same for us. When God exists alongside our plans When he doesn't challenge us too much, when we don't have to take any risks, well, that's great. But when the cost, when the cost of his call starts to become real, that's when our true hearts are revealed. When he says to follow, to find your life, when he says to find your life, you have to be changed. You have to start learning my ways. You you must think differently. You must act differently. That's when we struggle, right? But that's what Jesus says. He says, to follow me, you're going to have to change. He says, to follow me, you're going to have to do different things. For instance, he'll say things like, you're going to have to honor the Sabbath. You need to actually carve out time in your life for worship. Instead of living every moment for yourself. He says, you're going to have to honor me with your body. You're going to have to stop watching porn. You're going to have to stop sleeping around. You're going to have to change the way that you view sex entirely. He says, you're going to have to care about the poor and the marginalized. He says, you're going to have to start loving the people that you disagree with. You're going to have to stop bad-mouthing people just because you don't have the same politics. You're going to have to stop assuming the worst about them. Or maybe you know, he says what he says to Jonah, that you're going to have to go and preach the gospel to a people you don't feel comfortable with. You're going to have to leave your comfort zone so that you can bring them in to my people. Whatever it is that God says, there's always something We have to give up. There's always a cost. There's always a rub. There's always a place that's uncomfortable for us. Now, his promise is that when we follow him, when we lose our lives, we're going to gain them. But that mistrust, it's just so strong inside of us. It's hardwired into us. That's what the doctrine of original sin is all about. It's a part of our very nature. And when it rears its head, we find ourselves right next to Jonah, digging in our heels, committed to our own way, captive to our sin, stuck in our our selfish plans, and saying, I would rather die. If that's what it means, I'd rather die than trust him fully. I'd rather die than surrender in this place. But, our resistance, ultimately, it's, it's futile. Let's keep going in this story for a moment. You've got to respect the men on this ship, first of all. Do you notice that? These guys, every step of the way, these pagan men, they are remarkably honorable. In every way that Jonah is selfish, in every way that he is uncaring, these men are exactly the opposite. They don't want to throw Jonah in the sea when he tells them to. Instead, it says, the, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They tried everything. They rowed as hard as they could to try to get back to the land because they didn't want to kill this guy. And as soon as Jonah had told them that that he was on the run from Yahweh, as soon as he told him about this God who was the creator of the, the heavens and the sea and the dry land, well, we see in just a moment they're already praying to Yahweh. In your Bibles, whenever you see the Lord, in all caps, the word Yahweh is behind it. And that's what it says here. Then they cried out to Yahweh, Please, Yahweh, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Yahweh, have done as you please. Praying to the true and living God. And only in that moment did they throw him overboard. And in that moment, in an instant, a few amazing things happen. First of all, the storm stops instantly. Secondly, we see the men worship God. And third, of course, Jonah, he doesn't die. He's swallowed by a fish. And let me just take a couple of seconds here to address some of the skepticism, maybe, that, that is here in the room or with the people watching online. Um, this story of Jonah being swallowed by a fish I understand why it's a big hang-up for people and if you read the commentaries if you go online and read different articles you can see that there are all sorts of theories all kinds of people talking about how this could have happened what science might make this possible what instances in history might be similar to this and of course there's a lot of people who say well this is just absurd and this is a false story because this can't happen And while we could get into the weeds, (laughs) and I could explain what each of those different perspectives says, here's here's what I want to point out about this. This is only one of a whole lot of miraculous and unusual things that happen in this account and in the rest of Scripture. I mean, first off, the, the, the book starts with God speaking to Jonah, and then he makes this storm that's so strong it can tear apart a ship, and then he stops it instantly. In fact, if you look at the book and you read through it, you start to realize the part about the fish, it barely gets any play at all. It's just mentioned in a couple of verses, and not with a whole lot of detail. It's not an elaborate explanation like you might expect if it was a a fabricated account or some kind of fable or tale. It's just kind of a matter of fact. He says, here's what happened. So my advice for skeptics is to say, I understand why you're skeptic, but don't get hung up on it right now. Instead, I want you to focus your doubts on a bigger issue. Is there really a God? And is Jesus who he claimed to be? Because if there truly is a God who exists and created the world, well, it's certainly within his power to do some miracles, right? And look, this isn't nearly the biggest of them. So honestly, I I, I think for the time being, that issue is kind of a distraction even from the main point this passage is making. And the main point this passage is making, don't get me wrong, it might be harder to swallow, (laughs) no pun intended, I guess, <laughs> than the story of the fish. Because here's, here's the real challenging thing. This is what the sailors say in their prayer. They pray to Yahweh, and their, their proclamation is, you, Yahweh, have done as you pleased. This book proclaims the reality of a living, sovereign God. God. So far, we've talked a lot about Jonah's resistance and and even our own tendency to push back against God and his calling, to push back against the ways he wants us to follow him. But there's a principle at work throughout this whole story that is just as true as our resistance, and that principle is this. God is bigger than us, and we can't outrun his will. God is bigger than us, and we cannot outrun his will. We cannot outrun God's will, even when we try. You know, you can see from this story, even when we try to escape it, he somehow manages to redeem the mess we've made. Look at Jonah right here. He is trying as hard as he can to get away from this calling on his life to go and preach the gospel to the pagans. And what happens? Even while he's running, even while he's going exactly the opposite of the place God has told him to go, we see an entire ship full of pagans start worshiping God. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. You know, when it says here at the end of our, our passage that, that they greatly feared Yahweh and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, that didn't happen on the boat. It couldn't have. We just read they threw all the things off the boat already. This, they probably didn't have livestock on the boat to begin with. They would have had to sail back to shore and go to the temple and worship God. It's amazing. This is the beauty of a sovereign God. Our disobedience does not limit his power in any way. We can't stop him, even when we try. Now it's true, we are hardwired to resist in our sin nature. We mistrust him. We struggle to believe his promises. We struggle to trust his will. But ultimately, we are kind of like, Cats at the vet clinic. <laughs> I got a picture. Look at that, guys. See, I saw this video this week of cats in the vet clinic. <laughs> and there's different kinds of cats. My wife could tell you about this. She ha- we have not discussed this yet, but I know this from YouTube, so I'm sure I'm an expert. Um, but there's different cats. There's cats like this one who come in, and they're very chill. They're happy to do whatever needs to be done. But then there are cats who resist. The cats that need to be restrained and held down by another person so the veterinarian can get them. But these videos that I saw, there's also cats where the people come in and they have these giant oven mitts on that go all the way up to their shoulders. (laughs) And they come in and they're holding the cat like this. And then there are even other ferocious beasts (laughs) who come into the office. And the only hope for them is to be put into this contraption. This kind of cage-like thing where they gently crank it and the side wall comes in and slowly presses them until they're squished about that big. And then the veterinarian gives them the shot. But in every case, the veterinarian always wins. (laughs) Now, we may doubt God. We may resist him. We may struggle to trust him, but at the end of the day, here's a fact. He is going to have his way with us. We are no more a match for a sovereign God than we are an angry cat. An angry cat with the veterinarian is no more a match than us and God. I had one professor, and he put it this way. He said, if God wants you, he will have you. And folks, that's good news. It sounds scary, but I promise you it's good news. See, those cats, they don't like that process. But it always benefits them when they receive the treatment. The promise that Jesus makes to us is that if we would follow him, if we would lose our life, then in exchange we will gain our life. When we finally will surrender to him, we win. That's true for you as an individual. As you wrestle with submitting to God, I know that's daunting. I know there's lots of fears and doubts that you're struggling with, and I want to say it's also true for us as a church. As we look into the future and we consider and dream about what it's going to take to reach this community, there's going to be a cost to that. There's going to be times when We don't like it. There's going to be times as we try to reach the world around us where we feel that pressure. Where the changes that are coming make us uncomfortable. Moments when we feel the squeeze. Maybe it's from the music. Maybe it's from too many kids running in the hallways. Maybe it's from the mess that gets made in the building. Or maybe it's from messy people who disrupt the peaceful flow of a Sunday morning because their lives aren't all that put together. But even if God's means for accomplishing his purposes are painful, the outcome is always better than if we keep going our own way. Following him is always better than if you go your own way. And the other thing that we see here, the thing we see from Jonah is no matter how hard we try, God is going to achieve his purposes. God is going to work redemption in this town with or without our cooperation. (laughs) So why resist? Why keep fighting him? Why not surrender? Well, let's finally, let's talk about the the cure for our resistance. I said last week, and it is one of the big themes of Jonah, that Jonah ran from God because he didn't truly know God. He knew a lot about God. He even knew about God's love and his mercy. In chapter four, when God's questioning him, he says outright the reason that he didn't go in the first place was because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. You're a God who relents from sending calamity. He knew God was merciful. He knew he was compassionate. He knew he was loving, but he had not experienced it himself. He didn't believe deep down that his God could be trusted. He didn't believe that God would remain merciful and gracious to him, that God would deal lovingly with him if he went and surrendered to God's will. What about you? When you look at your own life, when you look at those places of resistance, Maybe it's some nagging sin that you just can't get away from. Maybe it's belief in general. Maybe that's the place where you're afraid to submit to him. In any place, in every place, where we're unwilling to submit, to surrender to God's control over our life, aren't we struggling the same way Jonah is? Isn't that the core issue, right? You just don't think that God can be trusted there? You don't think you can give that thing up? You don't think that he will do better in that situation than you will? You don't believe that if you just let go, if you just follow him, if you just go his way, it will be all right. Instead, you're, you're worried. You're worried that if you surrender if you trust, somehow things are going to be worse in the end. That is the same thought that Eve had in the garden. Jesus said, if you lose your life, you'll gain it. You know that. But do you believe it's true? How do you know How do I know that that he's not going to hold back on me? How do I know he's really going to do that for me? Well, here's how you know right here in this passage. See, Jonah, he sees these men who are going to die for him. And he knows they shouldn't die for him. They know that these men should not die for his sins. And so he tells them throw me overboard. He saw those innocent men, and he chose instead to take the punishment for his own sin. But do you know that God loves you so much that in the person of Jesus, he came. And even though he was the innocent one, he looked at you, the guilty one the one who was guilty of unbelief and and stubborn resistance, he came to you at that exact moment when you needed to be thrown overboard for your sin, and he said, throw me in instead. On the cross, Jesus calmed the storm of God's wrath by becoming the perfect sacrifice for you, by becoming your substitute. And because of that, because Jesus has already taken the wrath, it means now there is no wrath left for you. Amen. It means that when God calls you to follow him, you don't have to fear. No matter how hard it seems, no matter what he calls you to do, even if it costs you literally your life to follow him you know there's no wrath left for you. There's only reward. See, only the gospel is the cure for this deep down resistance in our hearts. Only when we understand that that Christ died for us can we know that God's call on our life is always good. If God gave us his son, Then there's no way he's ever going to hold back on you. Here's how Paul puts it He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So that's my invitation to us this morning. Stop resisting. And surrender. Let him give you the shot. (laughs) Confess your sin. Turn to him. Follow him. And live. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are so good that you call us. Even in the midst of our rebellion, you call us. You give us your son, you show us your love, and you give us a redemption that we don't deserve. There's no one too far off. There's no one who's blown it so bad. So I ask God that in your power you might free us from our sin, that you might rid us of our resistance, and that we would believe in our hearts that if you gave us your son, you'll also give us all things. We pray in Christ's name, amen.